So, uh, last week we were studying about the cloven tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2. And we talked about the cloven tongues, but we never made it to the fire uh, portion. So, uh, I'd like to review just briefly on the cloven, tongue, cloven tongues and then go to the, uh, the fire portion of it. But Acts uh, chapter 2 and the, and the first three verses says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. So this, on the day of Pentecost, when the Comforter was placed, when the Lord placed the Comforter into His body, the church, where He commanded them to meet, uh, this took place. Sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And uh, don't want to get too sidetracked. This is the only place you will see this. Now you will see where He went to. Uh, to uh, uh, the, the Greeks and Cornelius and so forth, and but you don't hear that. You don't. It's not recorded. There was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. Now, no doubt the Holy Spirit was passed on again, as we stated, church to church to church. But this is the only place. This is where the Comforter was given, only given one time. But uh, I didn't start out this way last week. But it says. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Do you think this is literal? I know many people look at the scriptures and, and just uh, take everything literal. Do you think this is literal? Now, I saw on television one time, uh, don't know what kind of program that I was channel surfing through, but there was an individual, I don't know if it was a man or woman, but they surgically had their tongue split, and they had learned to control this part and this part differently, and uh, you know why they did that, I don't know, maybe it's a benefit eating corn on the cob or something, <laughs> I don't know what the benefit would be, but anyway, they did this. So... Cloven means divided or split. So, all of a sudden you think on the day of Pentecost that says, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire. So you think they literally had split tongues at that time? Do you think literally had fire? Do you think it was literal? Well, of course we know it wasn't. But I just wanted to bring that up because many times we want to, it's our nature to want to look at things just on the literal sense. And you see, well, you see how far from the truth we would be if we thought, oh, okay, their, their tongues were split and divided. And there's literally fire breathing uh, from their tongue. You see how far from the truth we would be. Uh, 
so cloven again uh, means uh, divided or parted, and uh, and then of course it mentions the fire and and what would come to my mind would be uh, if it well this scripture tells us it's it's a good thing, but if it wasn't for this and you talk about a cloven tongue, I would think of a serpent. That's what I would think of, or as I mentioned. Uh, we watch some of these old westerns, and the Native American says these white men speak with forked tongue. <laughs> I would think of that. So I would think a negative thing. You know, divided, uh, speak with forked tongue. A serpent has the forked tongue. And uh, talking to somebody else, and they said, well, the fire makes me think of Satan. So if it wasn't for this scripture, the first thing that comes to my mind would be, this is a bad thing. A divided tongue, speaking lies, as a serpent would. You know, Satan's a, a liar and the father of it, and he's referred to as the old serpent. So that's what would come to my mind. Serpent, a uh, forked tongue. And then uh, a fire. And again, this other person calls my attention to think of Satan then. So we know it's not that. But uh, you know what? What was it, of course? So uh, we looked at the the cloven or the divided. Uh, again, is it a good thing? We look at the animals, and we see it recorded that way uh, that they would have a, a cloven foot. And if they had a cloven foot and chewed the cud, it was okay to eat them; they were clean. Uh, if they had a cloven foot. And uh, didn't chew the cud, such as bacon. You can't eat him, Chuck. <laughs> can't eat him. Unclean beasts, you can't eat them. So I think of cloven, and it, it, it talks about that to, to show the unclean and what, the, well, just show what, what was unclean. Uh, and then we see for dividing. Uh, Scripture says a kingdom divided against, against itself shall not stand. Divided. Divided a, seems like a bad thing. We talked about uh, uh, Tower of Babel. They all had one language. And the Lord divided. And they were no longer, they just dispersed. And they were fruitful in this building. And the Lord divided the language. And then there's no longer fruitful uh, in this. So again, it, it kind of seems like a, a, a bad thing when you look at it that way. But we know this certainly is not a bad thing. And, and let's look So we, uh, in verses, uh, uh, look, verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This was the ones that was in this building where the Lord had told them, he said, don't you go, uh, you, you wait here to be endued with this power from on high. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude confounded, uh, the, multitude, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? 
So this is kind of the opposite of Babylon. Now, in Babylon, they all had one language, and the Lord divided their language, no longer fruitful. Well, here we had people of a lot of different languages, and through this uh, uh, cloven tongue, had all different people of all different nations and things like that. But the language or tongue was divided to where they could each hear. So this is the first time what happened in, at the Tower of Babel was reversed. Back there, the language was divided, and they were no longer fruitful. This is just the, just the opposite as far as the results. The tongue was divided for the purpose that they all could hear. So that was a, a, the, uh, uh, the, the purpose of that. And as we, of course, we look at the, uh, the comforter and that uh, uh, has greater value as we look at that. And this was when he placed the comforter in his, uh, in his church. And that's what they received on the day of Pentecost, was the Holy Spirit and the office of the abiding comforter. And we've said before, and let me say it again, the Holy Spirit has different offices. Jesus Christ had different offices. He was, uh, he was the sacrifice. He was the high priest that offered the sacrifice. He was our first comforter. He uh, was the Lamb of God. He is our great shepherd. So he had different offices as well, the Holy Spirit. So I don't want to get, uh, well... I'll just leave that there. So this is the Holy Spirit as the abiding comforter that was given because the Holy Spirit would be with different men throughout the ages. And then one would, they would die or the Lord would remove for whatever reason and go to another. But here to the church, uh, this abiding comforter, and he says, I, I won't leave you comfortless. So we have the comforter. And we, I want, we, we brought three points from that and then I'll go on uh, or try to. And as far as the comforter said, uh, it, uh, it will reprove. It will reprove of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And this reprove was admonish or convince. So we talked about those are part of the Lord's true church, where the comforter is, has he convinced you of sin. And uh, we uh, went to a few different scriptures. Uh, we went to uh, a fifth chapter of Romans, where through, the, uh, through Adam's fall, sin and death came on all of us. We're all sinners. You know, there's people that, that don't believe that they're sinners, believe that they're living uh, above sin. I want to read something else to you, though, as far as well, in, in uh, 1 Timothy, I want to read that to you, and then we'll probably maybe go back to that. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, has he convinced you of sin? Did he convince the Apostle Paul of sin? And that's what I want to look at here. So he was Saul of Tarsus, and he talks about what he believed when he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee. And... Uh, So as a Pharisee, 
you know the Lord converted him. You know he was on the road to Damascus and the Lord struck him down. And he went to the, uh, then he was taken to a church and he was baptized. His eyes was opened and so forth. Uh, so did the Lord convince him of sin? And the answer is yes, but let's go. Uh, and you look, at, you look at his lot. Well, let's just read it. First uh, Timothy chapter 1. Let's start in verse 12. Did the Lord convince Saul of Tarshish of sin? Verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, and that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer. Now, when he was a blasphemer, do you think he recognized he's a blasphemer? No. He was, uh, he, he was very happy in that state, but he didn't realize it was sin. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So when he was baptized into the church, came under the leadership of this Holy Spirit, this comforter, then this comforter, as, as we studied last week in John, will convince men of sin. And it convinced him of sin. See, he thought before... Well, let's just read what he thought before in, in the Philippians. Uh, let's read that. Philippians chapter 3. This is what he believed before. Before the Lord convinced him of sin. He thought he was uh, better than everybody else. Philippians 3, and let's just start in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, before, he had confidence in the flesh. We're going to read that. He's going to talk about his before. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh... If any other man thinketh he hath any reason for which he might trust in flesh, I more. So now he's going to tell us what he used to believe, what he was proud in before he was convinced that it was sin. Before he was taken and baptized to the church where he came under the leadership of the comforter, before that, this is what he believed. He didn't believe it was sin and he didn't know it was sin. But the Holy Spirit in the office of the abiding comforter in the church, done, as it says in John, convinced him of sin. And now let's read it in verse 5. <clears throat> Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the top of, tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, looking through his genealogies, touching the law <clears throat> of Pharisee, there was none above the Pharisees. They knew that law inside and out, although they didn't understand. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Did he think he was in sin? No. Absolutely didn't think he was in sin. Did the comforter, 
which is in the church that he's baptized into, did it convince him of sin? Because that's what it says in, in John. It comes that it'll, it'll convince, it'll reprove of sin. And we'll see uh, if it did. Uh, but what things were gained to me? See, all that was gained to him. His genealogies, his righteous, self-righteous in the law, all that was gained to him. They looked up to Saul. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He lost all those things, all his self-righteousness. Uh, no doubt he didn't, he didn't uh, steal and, and he didn't walk any farther than, he, uh, uh, than the law allowed on the Sabbath day. I'm sure he didn't eat anything that had a cloven foot but didn't chew the could. <laughs> I'm sure he did all that. He says, eight, and yea, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He lost all those things. Does he care? What value did he put on all those things? His self-righteousness in the law, what value does he now put on them? And do count them but dung or refuge or manure that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is in the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith so uh, whenever we read there in Timothy uh, he said that Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief now do we read uh, other bad things uh, about him where he was a bad little boy and did all these things. No, what we have is he trusted in his self-righteousness in the law and his genealogies, as it were. And he says, I'm a chief. I, I was a chief sinner. So did the Holy Spirit as abiding comforter, which ab ab abides in the church, did it convince him of sin? Absolutely convince him of sin. And then, uh, did it convince him of righteousness? And the answer is yes. Uh, does it convince you of righteousness? That you realize your righteousness is in Christ. How many people do you talk to believe in their righteousness through the law? What, that they trust him. So, no, he convinced him and, hope, and uh, we pray as well as you that our righteousness is in Jesus Christ. That's our righteousness. So hope that the Holy Spirit convince you of that. And then lastly, convince of his judgment. So has the Holy Spirit convinced you of his judgment? And I consider that a very big thing. Well, all of them are. Has he convinced you of his judgment? Oh, I'm scared to death of his judgment. There it will be a judgment seat of Christ. But you know where your judgment has already taken place? When he was hanging on the cross and when he shed his blood. So has the Holy Spirit convinced you of judgment? That your judgment and the penalty for that judgment was on Christ. 
That's why he came. And Paul said, uh, Christ came to save sinners of whom I was chief. Uh, and we looked at judgment. We won't go there. We're going to move on. But we looked at judgment uh, in Isaiah 53, where it said, and It pleased God. It pleased God to, to bruise him. He put him on the cross to pay for our sins. And it said, God the judge was satisfied. So there's your judgment. On Calvary's cross, when Jesus Christ took the cup, took your sins, hung on the cross, and God the judge says, I'm satisfied. So now let's, uh, what about the fire? Uh, cloven tongues as a fire. Again, I don't think any of us believe that it was actually literally a split or divided tongue. I don't think any of us believe that it was literally fire and sparks and so forth. So what was it? Why does, why does it say this? So the word fire can mean different things in different places. Uh, it can mean destruction. It can mean punishment. It can mean purifying. It can mean shining or illuminating. And that's more what it means here. Uh, and well... I'll probably run out of time. So in Luke, uh, we won't go back there, but it's when uh, uh, Peter's three denials took place and uh, it was uh, after dark and apparently it was chilly. And Peter had already denied the Lord once. Oh, you're with, no, no, no. And then another time here, they'd started a fire, a fire, which is what we're talking about. And Peter was sitting next to the fire, which, what did the fire do? It illuminated his face. And the maiden came and says, oh, I recognize you. By this light shining on your face, I recognize who you are. You was with him also. So fire was used there. We could see illumination. Uh, So this, they had cloven tongues as a fire. So what about illumination? Well, think for a moment of the candlestick in the Old Testament. And I want to go back to uh, uh, Exodus chapter 35. And the candlestick was to give light. Uh, let's see, Exodus 35. And, of course, we realize the New Testament is just the Old Testament revealed. Uh, Exodus 35. And verse uh, 14. These are about, talking about things that go in the tabernacle in the wilderness and then was transferred over... Uh, later uh, the lampstand or candlestick has changed the lampstand but candlestick the candlestick also for the light and its furniture and its lamps with the oil for the light so here we see this camera, uh, candlestick in the tabernacle 
was for light to illuminate. And over, let's go to chapter 40 here in Exodus. And the comforter is certainly a, a type and shadow is represented in the, the candlestick. Exodus 40 and verse 4. And thou shalt bring in the table and set it in order, the things that are to be set in order upon it. And thou shalt bring in the candlestick. Your Bible may say lampstand, but the candlestick. And light the lamps thereof. So lighting the lamps. And in verse 24. And he put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southward. So they took it and they, they took this uh, and put it in the tabernacle and it was for illumination. Now let's go to Leviticus, the next chapter, or the next book, Leviticus chapter 24. And uh, let's just start in verse 1 here. So we're, we're trying to look at this fire. Uh, they spoke with cloven tongues as a fire and fire as illumination. And, and, and we're going back to the Old Testament to see that. So Leviticus chapter 24 and uh, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure olive oil, beaten for the light, to cause the lamps to burn continually. Outside the veil of the testimony of the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron order it from evening until morning. There the Lord, uh, before the Lord continually. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. He shall order the lamps upon the candlestick before the Lord continually. So there was to be what? No darkness. It was light. And there was to be no darkness. And uh, we'll say, what, what about darkness then? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Put my Bible back together again. 2 Corinthians Chapter 4. And and verse uh, 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here's God commanding the light to shine out of darkness into our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So do you see illumination there? This illumination, whether it be represented by the, the candlestick in a tabernacle or the comforter that was the light or the tongues of fire. When did they receive the tongues of fire? 
after the Comforter, the body Holy Spirit, was placed in the church where they were. That's when we had these, these tongues that were divided where everybody heard known language and the uh, uh, lighting or clarification, illumination. Like, uh, well, you remember the two on the road to Emmaus? And uh, I heard that and studied it before, but I didn't realize how closely it was tied to his resurrection, which was very interesting as I studied that. But the Lord was talking to him in beginning at Moses, beginning at the law of Moses, expounded unto them all the things in there concerning himself. As they was walking, so then the Lord just kind of disappeared, and they said, boy, didn't our hearts burn within us? And we've all, we've all felt that. So here is talking about darkness and him uh, uh, giving the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in, in Ephesians chapter 5, so these cloven tongues of fire, that fire there was illumination. And it came on the day of Pentecost. Now, uh, Jesus was the comforter before, and then when he left, he sent the comforter back, the body and Holy Spirit. Um, Ephesians 5 and 8. For you were once darkness. Paul knew from experience, didn't he? He knew that he was in darkness, and when he was in darkness, he was chief of sinners, looking to his own self-righteousness, looking to his genealogies, looking to everything except... Jesus Christ. How many do you know, do you talk to in the world today, that's what it is with them. They're looking to everything except Jesus Christ. So uh, Ephesians 5 and verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Uh, so, Paul, speaking of experience, I was once in darkness. I was a Pharisee. How they say, I thought I was a cat's meow, whatever, whatever that means. But he, he, was, he said there wasn't anybody that could touch him as far as his righteousness in the law. But he was in darkness. He said we were in darkness. So, on the day of Pentecost... When that comforter came, and the comforter, that's what it was going to do, was enlighten. And on the day of Pentecost, they spoke with those tongues that they all understood. Well, all that was supposed to understood. Not the whole world without exception. They didn't, and they still don't. But also those cloven tongues is fire illuminating. If we wanted to, and we don't have time, we could go, does it, well, does this fire uh, destroy any? Well, yeah, it destroys the old fruit. It wasn't fruit unto God. Paul, when he said all touching righteousness, which is in the law, he said, I, I was blameless. That was fruit unto death, as we could read in Romans the 6th and 7th chapter. That was fruit unto death. The comforter, the, the uh, tongues of fire, enlightenment, destroyed all that, that we might bring forth fruit unto God. Because when we're looking, touching our righteousness in the law, we're not bringing fruit, we're not bringing fruit unto God. So it, it does destruction in that, well, uh, that way as well. 
uh, I guess we're we're out of time. So, Paul, this uh, comforter convinced him of sin, of righteousness is through Christ, and of judgment that it was through Christ on the cross. He was convinced of that. And then these cloven tongues that was in the, the body's cry and is in this body. Cloven tongues. Broken up to where each of his sheep, not the whole world without exception, but each of his sheep can understand. Cloven tongues as of fire. Enlightenment. And haven't we all, and Dolores and I have talked, every time we come to services, every time we don't study, we don't have this great revelation. But boy, sometimes there is. And sometimes it comes from just a little tiny couple words in a verse. And actually, my lesson tonight, if I, uh, uh, if Lord willing, uh, talks about the Lord is my portion. And there's no surprise in that, but we want to study that. But boy, I saw something else. Just a little tiny thing that I thought it was one of these aha moments. So sometimes you do get that enlightenment. Sometimes it's just a few little nuggets. But anyway, uh, cloven tongues as a fire. The tongues were divided. They all understood. And the fire was enlightenment. May the Lord bless the speaking of his words. We're dismissed.